Welcome to Anyone Can Play Guitar, a podcast where we learn how to play every single Radiohead song on guitar in order. I'm Nick Kendallsperger. And I'm Austin Diaz. So, Nick, we uh, did a deep dive last time. On one song. One song. I mean, to be fair, it's <laughs> it was three songs stitched together into one. That's true. Okay, that makes me feel a little better then. Cause well, I felt... We did talk about three songs, and I think we're only talking about three today. That's true. Yeah, that is true. We're going to um, talk about Airbag, Subterranean, Homesick, Alien, and Exit Music. But first, Austin, you have something. I have a game. Oh, you have a game. Oh, okay. All right. Oh, no. What is this? So I'm springing it on you. So I'm oh going to just to see how uh, well we have learned parts on the guitar, because it is called Anyone Can Play Guitar. I'm going to play some notes or some chords, okay. and we're going to see if you can then play the next either chord or notes. So this can go all the way back to Pablo Honey. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. Let's, see, let's do it. So I start with an easy one. Okay. I think. Okay. That goes... Uh... Very good. Talk show host. Yep, talk show host. I got that one. All right, so here we go. Oh, oh, I got I got that one. That's how can you be sure? Very good. Oh, high and dry. Well, let's hear it. All right, let's try this one. Oh, that's bulletproof. Oh no, what's the next chord? Oh, oh. no, that's the wrong chord. It's a A minor, isn't it? No, oh. it starts on the A minor and then goes. You're breaking my heart. Oh no, what's the next chord? Give me one second. I gave it to you, but you have to tell me the name. I don't know the name the of G it. G major 7 B, which is an amazing uh, See, I can play it. I got it right here. It's right there. Okay. Yeah. I was just playing that one the other day. It's very beautiful. All right. So I have one more that I think is going to be hard. Oh, that's um, Maquiladora. Yeah, but what's the next chord? Very okay. good. All right. Woo. So All right. I we, saved we it. We just had to end. like show our bona fides again. But now we got to get into OK Computer. Because we just kind of talked about the single of Paranoid Android last time and how we both were somewhat enthralled by the video. If I remember right, it drove both of us to go buy OK Computer. That's right. In Louisville. At the same store. Ear Ecstasy. R.I.P. R.I.P. Oh, it's so really sad. sort of, I still can't wrap my mind around that that store is not... In existence. It was such a part of my childhood. Remember, I came home late at night because we'd been out to eat. I bought the album. I put it in my CD player. And it was sort of one of those things where I immediately felt that something was going to be different. I listened to the whole album all the way through. And from the very beginning, I was like, this something's different now. It sounds really dramatic. 
it's sort of like mundane dramatic, right? I mean, because I'm just in my childhood bedroom listening to this album, and it's probably, now that I'm thinking back on it, I realize that things were different, but I have this sense that at the time I also felt, okay, something has changed. I like this kind of music. I don't just like what they have on the radio all the time. I don't like Hooting the Blowfish anymore. (laughs) Because I did. (laughs) Mainly because they were everywhere. They were everywhere. That was true. I felt the same way. It just felt so different than everything else I was listening to at the time because they didn't have many rock songs. I was very concerned at first that there weren't a lot of loud electric guitars because Paranoid Android does have that release to it. Mm-hmm. And then you get the album on, you know, it's there in Airbag, but it's not like a rocking song. And then the only other sort of releases with electioneering, I was so just confused for the first week or two, mm-hmm. but I couldn't stop listening to it. Let's just get right to it. Let's talk about Airbag. Okay, computer based on Paranoid Android, right? Mm-hmm. Paranoid Android is the second track. If you've not heard anything, and I hadn't heard anything, I mean, I think if you were a diehard Radiohead fan at that point, you'd heard a lot of their leaks or bootleg copies or something. You knew sort of maybe what was coming. The difference between Airbag, at least in the opening, and Paranoid Android is vast. You know, and you put that in, and all of a sudden it's just that, like. And you, I was sold. I was, this is it. Yeah, just I'd that like, part. Those first th- three notes, or first mm-hmm. four notes, I could have just been like. And then they hit this. You know, there it's uh, this total chromaticism, which I didn't know what that meant at the time. And I barely mm-hmm. know what it means now. Yeah. But something about that just said, yep, this is what I like. This sort of off-kilter. That off-kilter is a great way to put it because it, it's not a melodic line. You're right. It's a, it just feels like it's going up and you don't know where the next note's going to land. They're balancing that with cellos or what sounds like cellos like yeah. on either side. And then the drums come in and it's not a traditional drum beat. It's a very scattered drum part. Sort of seeing how the uh, talk show host helped set the groundwork for this. And even Planet Telex, there is some connection between that, too. Because on Planet Telex, it's a drum loop taken from Killer Cars. And Airbag, sort of with the tourist later, kind of completes Tom's auto-tetralogy. That (laughs) starts with, you have Stupid Car, Killer Cars, Airbag, and tourists that are all kind of around death and cars. It makes me Mm -hmm. think of J.G. Ballard's um, Crash book, which was banned in the UK at the time. I don't know this book. What is this? It's a book where this guy wants to cause a car accident with Elizabeth Taylor. Like one guy wants to do it and the other guy's just sort of watching him. And it's all about this guy's always just waiting for accidents to happen. And then he goes and just watches them. And he loves like this sort of, it's a very sexual book, but like not mm-hmm. in a, like pornographic, like not in an, in an arousing way. But the sex scenes are the reason it was banned in the UK for the longest time. 
but it's about how man and machine are becoming one already. It's not it's like not something in the future. We already do that with cars. It's one of the messages. There's lots of stuff going on. This song feels almost like a culmination for Radiohead. This takes the promise of the three guitar attack to its perfection. <laughs> Pablo Honey teased us with the three guitars and it it just never quite works there. And then here even the very beginning there are three different parts and they all just add up to this beautiful very strange beginning so you have you know Johnny doing the but then there's and then that's layered with all of these different parts together, but none of the parts take over the whole picture. And then we get Colin's part, which is absolutely bizarre, where he comes in with the bass, and I think he's playing three notes. <laughs> yeah. And that's it for most of the song. And he doesn't even play for probably half the song. Right, and he doesn't even come in until, like, the resolution you have with all the three parts on the, on the A sus suspended two. What's so interesting then is that you realize, and especially if you look back at the older versions of Airbag, that this started off its life as kind of a folk song. The but they did this architecture around it to blow this song up into the grandest thing that it could be. I wonder if they felt like they had to sort of match the lyrics that Tom was coming up with. This sort of interstellar burst, back to save the universe. Kind of ironic grandeur. Again, I everyone takes, especially the lyrics of Radiohead, so seriously. that You know, they're like, yeah, it's they, the, the Tibetan Book of the Dead, which maybe it is. So, Austin, I actually read the entire Tibetan... Well, okay. I have a whole tangent here. You ready for this? I'm ready. You heard about the Tibetan Book of the Dead, obviously, yeah. for years. I was confused because I read that title in one of the books. And then one of the books, it said it would, should be called the Tibetan Book of the Living and the Dead, which was sort of a done in the 90s. And it was completed by a, an actual Buddhist monk. Essentially, what he was saying is that the original Tibetan Book of the Dead was a Western version of all of these tales. This Western author was just taking these tales and forming them into a collection for Western readers. Ah, you see what I'm okay. saying? Yeah. So I think that actually Radiohead and Tom York read the Tibetan Book of the Living and the Dead, which is a much more... Not true, but it is, is much closer to actual Tibetan belief. I actually read the whole thing because I was just so interested. And you can see the irony <laughs> of these lyrics so clearly after you read something like that. If there's anything I can get out of reading that book is that like real, real realization and rebirth, it takes serious contemplation <laughs> and meditation. And this, all these lyrics are basically just like, I am born again after this sort of miraculous accident. Right. I mean, it definitely makes sense. It makes me want to read it. And I feel like they made the music so triumphant to more trick you into thinking that that's what they're saying. Is it like after this car crash, there is this rebirth and there's not really. It's a fake realization. 
I find that it is especially expressed in that opening line, especially Johnny's, because it could just keep going. That line, you can just like... But the line could just keep going. This sort of like cycle in all of the lines, mm -hmm. like also Tom's part and Johnny's and Ed's part, all of these parts could keep cycling. And that's it reminded me of that's what I sent you that Sarabund by Bach, which is like a really famous one. It's it's also it's like the kind of the Mount Everest that every cello player has to sort of mount if they want to be serious about it. Because it's these really simple lines that kind of always loop in on each other and you have to play them in such a way that it's interesting. And if you don't play it right, it doesn't sound right. Or it just sounds like it's sort of nonsense. But if you get into this flow of the notes flowing on top of each other and circling back on top of each other and you realize that it could just keep going, then you've sort of gotten into what that piece of music is doing. I find that like, they have this opening that's basically the infinite, but then they cut it off, goes into then these lyrics about the Third World War and <laughs> where everything's ending, right? And then birth, but then this cycle is like birth, death, birth, death, and there's not really a realization. It's this sort of cycle that we're forced into. Like the notes could just be going and tripping back over each other like at the beginning of the, of the song. That's fascinating that old, that you have that classical music parallel. And then also you can tell that there was a very modern inspiration with DJ Shadow. Modern DJs use these loops that they combine in different ways. And so you have all these loops running over each other. And that's basically what this whole song is, is all these different players unraveling as it goes along. I just think that's fascinating that you can have both a modern inspiration and then you also see it ha play out in this classical piece. I love the DJ Shadow connection. Yeah, I've been listening to so much DJ Shadow oh for the God. past it's, couple it's weeks. It's been a great excuse. Not, I mean, not that I ever needed an excuse to go back to DJ Shadow. I read somewhere that they said that they tried to be like DJ Shadow and they feel like they failed. Like they said, like, we tried it, but it didn't work out, which is okay, but... <laughs> Yeah, no, they, they have a quote about that for this whole um, album where they were just like, we tried to play like all of these other people, and by the act of doing that, got us down the road to where we wanted to go, which is an interesting thing to say. The range of inspiration for a song like this is just crazy. I mean, we can also talk about King Crimson Red. Did you listen to this? I, I did listen to it a couple times. I want to know why I listened to it. <laughs> About three minutes into that song, Red, mm -hmm. the guitar tone sounds eerily familiar to the beginning of Airbag. Now that you pointed out, I can hear that. They were just looking all over the place in that it wasn't like just one thing. It was all of these, it was the combination of all these things that they were ingesting. It's a bit what I was talking about last time too, where you also have this convergence of these ideas that he's been working with, especially Tom, I feel like, has been working with on his songwriting. We've seen a lot of these chords and how these chords are put together before. I mean, like, especially in the verse, right? It's like... I mean, that's almost nice dream. I mean, it's like the same sort of feeling. Like we've been in this reg and we've been in this register before, but 
I think because they're draw- everyone's drawing from all these different references, I didn't realize how connected it was to their earlier stuff until I, until I started to learn it on the guitar for the, this podcast. Because it sounds so wildly different from the bins, and especially Pablo Honey, but at a bass level, with these chords, it's not. I agree. I don't think that Airbag is the beginning of a new radio head. I think it's the end of a certain kind of radio head. Mm-hmm. I think that they took this to the limit of what they could do. And there's nothing wrong with that. And it is exceptionally well done. But it, this is basically just a, a little acoustic ballad dressed up beyond belief. This is again where you see why Nigel Godrich is sometimes considered the sixth member of the band, too. I mean, just the production on this is unbelievable. It's okay. At the end, how it drops off and then slowly builds back up and builds back up. And then all of a sudden you get this sort of like choir at the end that really, you know, in, in Pablo Honey, all the songs ended loud, but they, they just kind of play like a verse or something at the end and be very loud. But this gets incrementally louder until the very last moment. Mm-hmm. So there's this huge upward trajectory yeah, and embarrassingly, I think I like this song more than every song on the bins. Oh, more. Is that I yeah. really like this song a yeah, lot. Probably. <laughs> I mean, probably. Right? If I if you're gonna make me think about it that way. Yeah. And force a hierarchy on me, then yes. A, a totally unnecessary hierarchy. Paranoid Android, you can understand how you can say it, but then as soon as I put OK Computer on, I'm like. Oh, no. Yeah. This is really good. The solo, as it is, is also amazing. Like, it sounds so almost Latin or something on the acoustic guitar. I feel like I would have to really be a gearhead to get it to where it sounds anything like I would want it to. But it works so well in this. I mean, it's not something that was... We're not seeing anything new from Johnny here. I mean, we also in Paranoid Android, we just have like this super tremolo that he's, it's just sort of this like vibration that seems to be beyond him, like that is he's like absorbing vibration from somewhere else and then just sort of translating it into the guitar. I know that there's other guitar players and other people who like notes and bends and a melody that they can really wrap their teeth around and not just sort of tremolo notes. But I, for some reason, this really connects with me, how he plays, and I can sit and try and really piece it out. I want to see if you can identify a chord just when I play it, because you can't see my fingering, right? I cannot. Okay. What chord is that? That is that is what I find, at least so far, to be the thematic chord of this album, which is the E suspended fourth. Oh. It's the E major when you put the pinky uh-huh. down. If I am correct, this hasn't come up before, but it comes up in the first four songs on this it album. It does. That's so weird. And You're it's totally like, right. And it's a linchpin on all of these songs. Well, I mean, like, we'll just go with this one first and let's see if I'm right, but it'll develop over time. But it's like the... It really spins around that, and then also with Paranoid Android, right, there you get that. You know, at the end of the slow part. 
Yeah. That at the end of the choral section. Yeah, the choral section. That E suspended fourth comes up again. Yeah. So, I but we should probably move on because we've already talked a long time about We have. <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the next song is Subterranean Homesick Alien. challenged you to get into some Miles Davis. How, how has that been going? Well, I watched the documentary about Miles Davis, and I listened to The Birth of Cool and Bitches Brew and the one that you told me to listen to before it. It's okay. Because this, to me, is the most Miles Davis-inspired song on the album. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of examples of them saying how much they were inspired by Bitches Brew and Miles Davis. And I just love sort of electric Miles Davis. It's one of my favorite things. But I recognize that sometimes it's hard to to get into it. But what I love about Bitches Brew is when it feels like there's just all these instruments all over the place mm-hmm. and it's like a fog that's surrounding you and you don't clearly know where it's coming from. And Subterranean Homesick Alien just feels like it's so heavy. You can feel the atmosphere and it's also like a little, it's like a cross between Bitches Brew and then Pink Floyd, especially with Johnny's guitar parts. You know, and, and Pink Floyd were very inspired by Miles Davis, so it could all go back to Miles Davis if you want to say it that way, but all three of these songs we've talked about so far have been so different from each other mm-hmm. in how they're formulated and then also just the sound of them, the production of them. They're really going for it. It's not like, let's go into the studio and just see what, you know, let's play the song and then that'll be great because it's a great song. You can tell they thought of every sound to make this be what they wanted it to be. You could just feel the dissatisfaction they had originally with every song. <laughs> you can tell that they kind of went on a sort of, they started out high, like a roller coaster. Like, oh, this is great. This idea that Tom's brought in, uh, now it sucks. But we've made it better. Okay. <laughs> Which I feel is like how a lot of Radiohead songs go, at least for them. You have this rabid fan base that loves early versions of songs, mainly because they're new and or they picked up on a bootleg or something. And then the version that makes it to the album. Like I can imagine that there's probably people that heard live and as a bootleg airbag, saw that it was the first track popped in the CD and said, what is this? This is not the song that I was expecting. No, where's the acoustic little number I I loved when I saw it the first time? Yeah, this whole album is just dripping with like, nope, we can do this better. Not just differently, but better. But how did you feel about this song when you first got OK Computer? It was my least favorite on the album. I don't dislike it, but it was the one where I I didn't skip ever when I listened to this album, but I would just kind of let my mind wander maybe a bit until it was over. I get that. Coming after Airbag and then Paranoid Android, you know, you need a little letdown 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> you need something to like kind of cool your jets for a little bit. And I think this song handled that pretty well, but it, it definitely was not one of the ones that I returned to a lot when I was younger. I think I thought I understood the lyrics and I realized I didn't till you get older. That's definitely true. Do you think, oh, it's just this sort of almost catcher in the rye angst? And I mean, that's, that's a good book. Actually, I like that book. But, you know, at the time I was like, yeah, ducks, whatever. It's uh-huh. Ducks are phony. It hits me so much harder now, like the lyrics of this song. I found that really interesting returning to it because I hadn't thought about it before. And then reading about it, they were very conscious of what they were doing. So this, okay, this is a quote from Tom. It says, this was supposed to be a joke song anyway, as much as my jokes are ever funny. But it was also, I was interested in the fact that there was a lot of misdirected spirituality placed towards the X-Files syndrome. Like at the end of the last century, everyone started seeing bleeding statues of Jesus on the cross and so on. Suddenly everyone sees sightings, though some people claim we always see them. It's an angels versus aliens thing, which is fascinating. And then Johnny elaborated it a little bit more where he was just like, you know, people always want to believe that there's something else out there. So before UFOs, it was the Virgin Mary. And before it was something else, people flock to the same places with their cameras and hope to see the same things. And it's just about hope and faith, I think, more than aliens. But I, I just think that whole conversation is so interesting because there was a lot of sort of alien abduction stories going along. And I do think that that is a release for a lot of people to believe in that. And it it does sort of tie back into the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. All of these earthlings with are just so uptight and controlled and will never relax. I mean, that line towards the end where it's like, I tell all my friends, but they'd never believe me. I'd show them the stars and the meaning of life. They'd shut me away, but I'd be all right. It starts out like a joke. Smell of the morning, I keep forgetting this. The smell of the warm summer air. Yeah, I I keep forgetting the smell. But see, it feels like the summer air. Like, it feels like that heavy fog. And he's playing a uh, Rhodes piano, like an electric piano right there, instead of an acoustic guitar. So even though I learned all of this on acoustic, I, I did have to pull out the keyboard to play a little bit, too. And how was that? Tom's fortunately not the most advanced piano player, so my lack of advancement means that we're pretty good. (laughs) But I would like to say that I was very surprised about how much I played this song. Uh, I love playing this song. I just think, especially the beginning... I got I got obsessed with the part in the chorus that I think oh, I think that Ed's playing that like Yeah, I mean Then it goes the Yeah. <laughs> I played that so much this week. In the chord book it's so simple and then and you sort of play it along with the chord book and then you Listen to it and you go like, wait, what are all those other parts? Right. It's just start of, they're starting to break away from just sort of playing chords into playing these figures and they're all playing it. My appreciation for this song has really grown. No, it's skyrocketed. I mean, it's, I don't know, we haven't learned all the songs yet, but it's definitely moved up. Okay. It's not in last place anymore. (laughs) It's definitely not in last place, at least not right now. But again... I mean, I don't know if we need to like repeat ourselves all the time, but 
at the base level, like just in the chord book, 200 years from now, and nobody can listen to music because it was all streaming. And then there was like some sort of a, you know, hack and all the music went away. Yeah. And you just had this chord book. Uh-huh. You'd be like, ah, oh, this is the same idea. Right? Like that. Uh-huh. I've seen this in earlier in the chord book. Keeping the bass note and mm-hmm. just going through kind of like permutations of the chord. Right. Yeah. Even the chorus, which is just explodes, right, when you look at all the different yeah. parts, but it's just this. You're just moving the top two strings down mm-hmm. the bass line. That's true. Which it sounds nice, but you're like, okay, but Tom has done this. Seed of the song is the same, or is not the same, but it's something we've seen before. This uh, is one of the earlier songs. I think they, one of the first songs they recorded before they ever got to the mansion. When they first started out, they got all this equipment and then a, a studio and, and knocked out four songs and then went to the, then went touring and then got that mansion or rented a mansion to like finish all the other songs. From uh, the actress. Yes, Jane Seymour. Jane Seymour, who yeah. shares the name with a queen of Henry VIII, which is, I oh. I don't know if that was, I don't know how on purpose that is. Probably completely well, on purpose. And the one song I think that you can really hear the mansion is the next song, which is Exit Music. Before we started learning all of these songs on the guitar, what were your impressions about this song before learning it on the guitar? Exit music. That boom, psh, boom, psh, boom, and then, then the bass comes in. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Like the bass, the drums, and then you have like here for the first time since Pablo Honey, mm-hmm. like a Tom York whale. What he did, you know, from on Prove Yourself and creep right where Uh he just kind of like lets loose and it's not the falsetto it's just like the strength of his voice you have that here finally Mm, again exit music's a bit campy can we agree on that yeah well i I mean my 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 follow-up question was like what do you think having now learned it obviously it's great i'm not gonna say anything bad about it (laughs) um but it it is a big campy and it's not a it comes across maybe to people as all doom and gloom, mm-hmm. but it has a very music, musical kind of vibe to it, like a music show. I don't know. Well, I mean, um, it was it was written for. This is the song that was written for Romeo and Juliet. That's correct. And then they, instead of letting them have it for the soundtrack, they were like, "We need to keep this." <laughs> Isn't it on the? But it's on the in the end credits, no. It's on the end credits of the movie, but it's not on the soundtrack. I, I totally get why they, they didn't let go of this one. I don't know. How do you feel about it? I loved this song as a teenager. I know that I didn't think of it then as campy. I think of it now as a bit campy. I loved just the the way that this just sort of builds and crescendos, and then it's slowly, slowly getting just bigger and grander. I was all into it, and I 
took it very seriously and I loved it. I have to admit that I sort of had to force myself to keep sitting down and playing it. One, because the guitar part's actually just not that interesting. If I'm playing this by myself, the only interesting chord I found was like that G minor 11. That's a pretty good chord Which though. is amazing. <laughs> Followed closely by like the D minor add nine F, mm-hmm. which pops up, which I love that they kind of withhold. Like he wanted to come up more, but it only comes up twice. You have a capo on the second fret, but it's almost mm-hmm. the same chord pattern as Street Spirit. You're just going back and forth between A minor, A suspended two, A suspended four, till the very end, which we can talk about. I mean, it's a weird song because it, it basically has two verses and then two contrasting pieces. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like an A, B, A, C format. I think I do like the breathe part a lot. The That's with the G. Yeah. The, the that sounds, I think I, I love that part. I like those two chords. I don't like then, well, okay, don't like is very extreme. <laughs> I, I appreciate less than the like the and then we have our chord uh-huh yeah which, which didn't pop up in the last one i was wrong but it pops up here the e suspended oh, okay. four yeah I, mean, I will say that we've talked a lot about how one of tom's tricks is the modes switching mm-hmm. and this one seems like he's just doing it without thinking, without much thought process into it. Well, it would be an F sharp major, but it with the capo, it's an E, and then it goes to E sus, and then it goes around. And mm-hmm. it just feels like he's just moving it around without being deliberate about it. Until what is what the chord book calls is that verse four, which up until now we've had. Right? But yeah. then this one is... B. Yeah. And then an E. And it's again an F. Mm-hmm. And then you stay with the F. B flat. Right? Yep. E. And then we go back to kind of what we know. Uh, that part is amazing. In German, we have the, there's this phrase. It's like "ich zerbreche meinen Kopf," right? Like I break my head over it. <laughs> like, German can be kind of violent, but you have that A minor, right? Which is uh-huh. at this point, it's kind of comforting, and then it's so menacing a B major chord, right? Because it just comes out of nowhere, and then they keep it menacing by going to the E major, even though you've heard it before, and then the the F, it, like it sounds so scary all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Like this is that where the, this is where the song turns. It's just scary, and then they stay with it. And I don't. Again, I just don't know how they do it. I don't know how they decontextualize major chords that they are menacing and not happy. Right? Yeah. Gosh. You have this condition, you know, because in all these other songs, you have this conditioning that you're with the major chords. And then the minor chords are kind of, they come in and they create this dissonance and tension. And then the major chords resolve it. Whereas Radiohead just flips that on its head. They go from like a comforting minor, A minor, to this run of major chords that freak me out. Yeah, no, wow. Yeah, you're, you're totally right. It's amazing. While it is a bit campy, this obviously 
is inspired by Romeo and Juliet. And the lyrics are phenomenal and deeply sad. I don't know. How do you feel about the actual, have you read Romeo and Juliet recently? Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I teach it sometimes. So I have to. Okay. How, how do you feel about it? Well, I mean, it's really dramatic. It's one of my least favorite Shakespeare plays and I like Shakespeare. Okay. But it's pretty over the top. There's some really, there's some really great lines in it though. And it's clear why it's sort of so enduring. I want to take a moment and defend Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> I, I do read Shakespeare too, and I, I like a lot of different kinds, but there is something that the book captures of the really dramatic teenage feelings that will live forever, I think. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and this song sort of piggybacks off that, I think, as well. And so even though it is campy and dramatic and, and over the top, those are how you feel when you're a teenager sometimes. That rushing of just anger and feeling trapped and wanting to escape. The venom in the we hope that you choke. You know, Romeo and Juliet are sort of cursed by their families and the responsibility of that. And they wish they could get away. Mm -hmm. And they feel like they're never going to be able to replicate this feeling with anyone else ever again. And it's silly looking back as an adult and thinking of that, but I, I never want to forget how that feels, I guess. And so I do appreciate that this song nails that. It definitely connected with me more when I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. You know, going back to the lyrics now, as opposed to going back to the subterranean homesick alien lyrics, like those connect with me a lot, much more now than these do. Like I can mm -hmm. remember my teenage angst and stuff, but... Then I, yeah, it definitely connects with Romeo and Juliet. That's a good point. I guess I feel the same way. I feel a little less, not as close to this song as I used to be. I still think it's a great song. And when the drums come in and the fuzzed out bass kicks, yeah. like that's just heaven. Again, like I've been doing the thing where I try and play the song as much as I can without listening to the track verse. I'd forgotten that by verse three, they kind of build up again and then it drops out and you just have those kids' voices, sort of like kids playing and sort of screaming in the background. And that's genius. Yeah, they did a lot of background. Um, Tom recorded things on his mini disc recorder. Mm -hmm. There's some sort of ruffling sounds in there and that's from his recording. And then of course his voice is recorded just in a stairwell, I believe, in that mansion. Mm -hmm. So all that reverb that you hear is just the recording from the being in that enclosed space, which is also kind of amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, even if we're not as enthusiastic about this song, we can both see that it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And as a recording, it's it's sort of so beyond what the Benz did that mm -hmm. it's kind of astonishing. As a record, you know, it's hard to fault this thing. No. Even though playing it on guitar, I, I don't find myself just playing it that much. Mm -hmm. Instead, I found myself playing the introduction to Subterranean Homesick Alien. All the and, time. Like, yeah. all the time. <laughs> the, I, yeah, the intro and the chorus to Subterranean Homesick Alien. Yeah. I mean, I messed around with the high Johnny part a little bit, but it was also sort of annoying. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, like, just by itself, right? Like, if you don't have yeah. that underlying track and you're just sort of, like, up there and you're going, like... No. Oh, right. <laughs> um, so next week, we're going to talk about Let Down, yeah. Karma Police. Yeah. Briefly mentioned Fitter Happier. I don't know how much we're going to be able to learn to play that one. 
and then electioneering. That's going to be a fun episode. That will be a pretty fun episode, considering how much we played Karma Police in college. Exactly. All the songs on the Anyone Can Play Guitar podcast are by Radiohead and performed by Nick Kendallsberger and Austin Diaz. Mm-hmm.